It is truly a blessing to be back here at Faith Bible Fellowship. A lot of years, a lot of wonderful memories. Appreciate you all having me come back and come and minister the Word of God. And I appreciate you all. I feel like somewhat of an adjunct church member, if you will. But it is wonderful to be back. Give a little bit of an update for you who weren't in Sunday school. My wife, Lori, and I were, as Paul mentioned, we're living in uh, Jonesboro with Elijah, our daughter, and our daughter, Shoshi. They're getting ready to start college in the fall. We're busy people. That's something new. They're getting older. And uh, we just published a new book called Jewish Roots of Christianity, a biblical survey of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation which we, by God's grace and with the help of Beacon Street Press and Southwest Radio Ministries, we published this last fall. So we've got the book, and we also have a video teaching. We've got free materials like pointers on witnessing. This is a freebie. I'd encourage you to pick it up at the literature table. So let us pray as we open God's Word, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. It's the day that you have made we rejoice in it and we rejoice in you. We thank you for the freedom that we have to come into this place to open your word freely, to declare your truth and your gospel, and to declare that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we pray now your word would go forth with clarity and power, accomplish your purposes through this time for your glory, Lord, and our good. In the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. Well, when I was 16 years old, I was just a young lad. My father bought me my first car. It was a 1973 used Toyota Corona. It was 1982 at the time, and I was really stoked, as you can imagine. This just wasn't any car. My father painted it white and blue, put a new Pioneer sound system in there, and put Kreger magnesium wheels on there. Kreger mags, Pioneer stereo system, new paint job. I was happy. I didn't have air conditioning, but you can't have it all, right? <laughs> but it was awesome. I washed the car all the time, polished those Kreger mags, religiously, you know. As a 16-year-old, that was my joy and pride. But unfortunately, as with new stuff, the veneer and the flawlessness in time would leave. Those Kreger mags got dented. There were dents in that new paint job. Oh, the memories, though, right? I'm sure you can relate. The newness of stuff, wonderful as it is, generally fades despite the best of our intentions. But you know, there's something in our lives as believers the Bible describes as an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and unfading. And friends, that is none other than the new birth that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You know, when I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior in December of 1987, I became a new creation in Messiah, and I am eternally grateful for that mighty work and grace of God in my life. Today, I believe God is still in the newness business, don't you? 
And those of us who have experienced the new birth, we certainly can attest. By the way, did you know that today is Pentecost Sunday when the church around the world, we celebrate and remember the birthday of the church? And when we think of Pentecost, we typically think of the day the church was born, and that's true, but it's not the whole truth. You see, there's much more to this day. Did you know that Pentecost was actually a Jewish feast day? This morning, we're going to examine the Jewish connection and significance of Pentecost for us as believers in Jesus Christ as we explore Acts chapter 2 in the light of the concept of newness. And we are going to begin reading God's word in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read the first 21 verses of Acts chapter 2. And by the way, as we talk about the the Feast of Pentecost, this was the Jewish Feast of Shavuot. And incredibly on the calendars today, on the Hebrew calendar in 2022 today, today is the actual Jewish Feast of Shavuot when we as the Church of Jesus Christ are celebrating the birthday of the church. So that doesn't happen all the time, but concurrently it is happening today. So we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, we read, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter Standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall turn into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. The gospel writer Luke also wrote the book of Acts. In the opening chapter of Acts, we see the resurrected Christ giving some final instructions, some final marching orders to the disciples just before his ascension. In verse 3, Jesus speaks to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. God would do a new thing. And Jesus tells us when he says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the utter ends of the earth. And now his words in chapter 1 will come to fruition here in Acts chapter 2. Notice in verses 1 through 4. We see the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. Then the crowd's response to the event in verses 5 through 13. And finally, we see Peter explain what's happening as he will then begin preaching to the crowd in verses 14 and following. And the main point is this, if you're taking notes, the main point today is God unveiled new things at Pentecost. God unveiled new things at Pentecost. Specifically, these three new things we will discuss today. Number one, God unveiled a new perspective on an established Jewish holiday. God unveiled a new relationship between God and man that is now made available through the new covenant. And then finally, a new strategy will be given to God's people to fulfill God's mission. So first, let's talk about this new perspective. Look at verse 1 again, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were in one accord in one place. First, we have to ask this question. What is Pentecost and why are these people in Jerusalem? Pentecost, as I mentioned, is actually this Jewish holiday, the Feast of Weeks, or in Hebrew, we would say Shavuot. And God instituted this feast in Leviticus 23. If you have a Bible, let your fingers do the walking back to the Torah, the book of Leviticus chapter 23. You can also follow along. But at Leviticus 23, we're going to read about the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot in verses 15 through 22. Leviticus 23, we're going to read verses 15 through 22. Beginning in verse 15, we read, And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed, Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goat as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of the peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest and you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. 
When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So here we're introduced to the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. The Hebrew word I mentioned, Shavuot, literally means weeks or sevens because we count seven Sabbaths and a day after Passover. That's how we do the math for Pentecost. Pentecost, a word, a Greek word, which literally means 50th. Shavuot was a time for the ancient Israelites to give thanks to God for their produce during the barley season. And there are two words in this passage that I want us to focus on that are going to strengthen our understanding. The first word is first fruits. Look back to Leviticus 23, verse 17. The word says, You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. So here in Leviticus 23, first fruits is associated with the physical harvest. Now in Acts 2, there is a spiritual component. As we will witness a harvest of souls, 3,000 strong, 3,000 people who will respond to Peter's preaching of the gospel. But there's more. The spiritual concept of first fruits is found in various New Testament passages. For example, the resurrected Jesus is called first fruits in 1 Corinthians 15:23. Paul applies the first fruits metaphor to the Holy Spirit in Romans 8:23, stating that as believers, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And James applied this term first fruits to all believers when in James 1:18 he wrote of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The second word I want us to notice is this word harvest. And if you were to distill both the Jewish agricultural feast of Shavuot and Pentecost, what is occurring in Acts chapter 2 with the birth of the church, the one word I want you to remember, if you don't remember any other word from this message, remember the word harvest. You go, what did Larry teach on today? Harvest. And if you remember Shavuot and Pentecost, good for you. You get extra credit, okay? <laughs> but remember, harvest is the word of this message. And harvest is the word that connects Shavuot and the Hebrew scriptures and the life of ancient Israel with the life of the New Testament church. Harvest is that word that connects the feast in both ways. Again, Leviticus 23, verse 22. Check it out. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. When you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Again, the key phrase here that's critically important is this. When you reap the harvest. Remember, to those first century disciples, the harvest celebrated at Shavuot was physical in nature until the spirit falls at this particular Shavuot. From now on, 
their perspective on this harvest celebration would certainly include the spiritual harvest of souls as those first disciples of Jesus would experience. And there's actually some New Testament context as we continue our study of the birthday of the church. Now, understand this about the ancient feast of Shavuot. It was one of three feasts requiring all Jewish men to come to Jerusalem to worship. Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot in Hebrew, they're the other two. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, the word of God states, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So here we see the religious reason the disciples are in Jerusalem here in Acts chapter 2. Earlier, Jesus had given them the relational reason to be in Jerusalem. Remember, in Acts 1 verse 4, he told them just 10 days earlier, right? Not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That would be the Ruach HaKadosh. In Hebrew, we would say the Holy Spirit in English. And not so coincidentally, friends, when does the Spirit fall? On Shavuot. Look at verses 2 and 3 now. Back to the text. Acts 2, verses 2 and 3. The word says... And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So in verses 2 and 3, we see a manifestation of God coming down that actually has a precedent in the Old Testament or Hebrew Scriptures. But here contains a new dynamic. There are 120 disciples of Jesus in the upper room when a sound as of a rushing wind fills the house. Then divided tongues as a fire rests on each of them, and that's critical. The sound of the wind indicated to those present that God was about to manifest himself and his spirit in a unique, singular fashion. In Scripture, if you remember, wind is frequently used as a picture of the spirit, as I mentioned, the Hebrew word ruach means both wind and spirit. God spoke to Job out of a whirlwind. In Ezekiel 37, God promises to give life through the spirit to dead bones, which represent a spiritually dead Israel. And when God gave Israel the law at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, he comes down with what? With a mighty sound and in fire. You remember? That's why Jewish people today, religious Jews, believe that God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai during Shavuot. The difference here in Acts chapter 2 is that these cloven or divided tongues of fire rest upon each person individually. And that is significant. Because you see, instead of, it, instead of God's presence being manifested corporately among the nation of Israel... Now the Spirit of God is filling individuals. That's the new thing that is happening here. You see, in the Old Testament, 
the Spirit came, rested upon, or filled select individuals at specific times to accomplish specific purposes. And generally, these were prophets, priests, kings, sometimes artisans. You read in the scripture that the Spirit will empower. But now, now in Acts chapter 2, what are we witnessing? The Spirit is now coming down and filling each individual person. Everyone who is following Jesus. Now, for these disciples of Jesus, this Pentecost was unlike any other before and would be unlike any other either, any other after. Now, any football fans here? Some people like football. I like football a lot. And I was actually living in New York City. We were missionaries serving with Jews for Jesus up there in 2008. New York Giants were facing the mighty, undefeated New England Patriots. And we were in the city during that time. And it was just a magical run. The New York Giants to even get to the Super Bowl. <laughs> they won three road games in a row. It's like, eh, the Giants, they're not going to do it. The Giants did it. Next week, Giants aren't going to do it. They did it. And on and on the story goes. They get to the Super Bowl. And then who's waiting? Goliath. Tom Brady and the mighty New England Patriots. And the city was actually electric. I actually had a visitation. I visited this Jewish guy. I was witnessing to him. He was not a believer. But I was sharing Jesus with him. And he was living in Queens. He said, I got tickets. I'm going to Arizona. I'm going taking my grandson. And he took his grandson. And we actually had a story to tell after, after they won. And I went and visited him again. But, you know, it was an awesome thing. The Giants pulled the upset. David really did beat Goliath in football that day. And, you know, whenever I watch the Super Bowl, there's a part of me that remembers being in New York City. After the Super Bowl, we actually wrote a gospel track, printed it, and went down to Broadway where the Canyon of Champions and the Giants and all the fans, and we were handing out gospel tracks until the team came through, and then we stopped and watched everybody else, you know. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time. But, you know, when the big game arrives every year, guess what? I remember that that time in New York, that Super Bowl that was unlike any other I experienced. It was great. You know, as the disciples would later process what occurred and lived in light of the occurrences of the Spirit falling upon them, that particular Shavuot, certainly they would have had Jesus in mind to lend understanding and perspective. And they would have never forgotten that first Shavuot, when the Spirit fell and the church was born. And they would do Shavuot every year, at least until 70 AD when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, right? But they would have remembered. You see, Jesus coming as life, his death, his resurrection and ascension had new perspective in so many ways. And for the disciples and people of that day, life had previously been lived in light of the promise of Messiah and the promise of the new covenant. But now that he had come, life took on a new dynamic. The promise of Messiah had now been replaced with the reality of his coming, and now the coming of the Spirit upon the disciples of Jesus on Pentecost would provide new perspective on this major Jewish holiday, Shavuot. Pray for unbelieving Jewish people today as they're celebrating Shavuot that God would open their eyes and help them to see this new perspective. That Shavuot is much more than a agricultural harvest. But it's also about something more. It's about the Ruach HaKadosh available to all people 
who would put their trust in Messiah. Another perspective of this new perspective on Shavuot for the disciples would relate to the concept of harvest. As the spiritual harvest Jesus had spoke about during his earthly ministry was now coming into fruition in dramatic fashion. You know, new perspectives can change even our view of the universe. Polish astronomer Nicholas Copernicus published in 1543 a treatise entitled Six Books Concerning the Revolution of the Heavenly Orbs, where he placed, wait for it, he placed the sun at the center of our solar system. And by the way, when Copernicus came out with that idea, it was un-PC in many religious circles. You remember if you studied history. And this revolutionary yet true perspective replaced the previously held Earth-centered view of the solar system. In fact, modern astronomy was built upon the foundation of what we know as the Copernican system. And I hope this morning you're gaining some new perspective on Pentecost. And when you think of Pentecost, perhaps you'll also think Shavuot. But I told you to remember what, what one word to remember our message today? Harvest. Harvest. You all are with me. Good. That's good. Anybody ever heard this pithy catchphrase before? The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Anybody? You've heard it? Unfortunately, you've probably heard me say it many, many times. I can be redundant, but it's really an important concept that packs a punch, doesn't it? And when we study the New Testament in light of the Old and vice versa, we gain new perspectives. And maybe these new perspectives help you grow in your relationship with the Lord, and I hope that they do and help you better understand the good news of Messiah. Because when we talk about a message like this, when we talk about concepts like this, ultimately we're talking about the gospel. And the gospel goes on and on. And the better we understand the gospel, I argue the more effectively we're going to be able to share it with people in our midst. And so that's the value of doing a Jewish Roots message and learning about Jewish Roots, is that it strengthens our gospel foundations. It strengthens our understanding of the gospel and it gives us deeper resolve and greater commitment and more effectiveness when we share that good news with other people. So we see God doing a new thing in verses 1 through 4. Now notice the Holy Spirit comes down, and let's call that the cause. Now we're going to see the effect. What happens when the Spirit falls? Look at verses 5 through 13. Let's read it again. Acts 2, I'm going to read verse 5. Ready? Acts 2, verse 5, the word says... And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, and the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language, they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They're drunk, they're full of new wine. They are imbibing. What is the effect of the Holy Spirit coming? A new relationship 
A new relationship with God and man is now made available. And these disciples, these simple Galileans, they're speaking the wonderful works of God in the various languages of the day to people from all over the known world. Each person there, can you imagine? Each person from all over the known world had descended upon the holy city, Jerusalem. And now they're hearing in their own native tongues the wonderful works of God. And in the culture of the day, if you know anything about the first century, making this event even more remarkable would have been that to these outsiders, to the people who would have descended upon Jerusalem, that these Galileans would have been perceived as local yokels or simpletons, right? By these outsiders, people from the known world. And how did it happen? How did this happen? Well, the disciples were filled and empowered by the Spirit. And this coming of the Spirit at Pentecost is a watershed event in redemptive history, obviously, marking the shift of God's redemptive purpose from a particular people, the nation of Israel, now to include all people, the goyim, the nations of the world, right? So this is a beautiful aspect of the new covenant. You see, in the Old Testament, God had made covenant promises to the nations of the world. But you know, in Acts chapter 9, when Peter goes to Cornelius' household, do you remember? He goes to Cornelius' household and preaches the gospel to them. But before God told him to go, and initially Peter was like, no, Lord, they're Gentiles. I'm not going to go eat bacon. I'm not doing that. And God said, uh, yeah, you will. And eventually Peter relented. But it was an issue to be sure. But you see, in one sense, Peter had not gotten the memo. Initially, he didn't remember the words from passages like Isaiah 49.6, where the word says, Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also give you as a light to who? The Gentiles. Gentile, a Hebrew word goyim, meaning nations. And then he continues, Isaiah, that you should be my salvation to where? To the ends of the earth. And as I mentioned, this truth became reality later on, actually in Acts chapter 10, not 9, when Cornelius and his household become the first Gentiles to trust in Messiah Jesus. And following the salvation of Cornelius, the gospel was spread to all the people throughout the Roman Empire and beyond, to both Jew and Gentile, just as God had planned before the foundation of the world. You see, the church is born, the spirit falls, the disciples are filled, Peter preaches, and 3,000 souls are saved. And God said that it would happen, that it would happen through the new covenant that he had announced. Initially, to the Jewish people in Jeremiah chapter 31, I encourage you, turn to Jeremiah 31. I only want to read it by way of introduction. We don't have time to break it down. I think I might have been here once and shared an, an entire message about the new covenant. Anybody remember that? I think I came once before and, and taught on the new covenant. But I just want to read these couple of verses because it will give us some perspective as we continue to connect the dots. And this certainly, if nothing else, this is a connect the dots kind of message. Jeremiah 31, I want to read verses 31 through 34. Here we go. Jeremiah 31. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Just as Moses ratified or sealed God's giving of the Mosaic law or old covenant to Israel, Jesus sealed the new covenant in blood, his very own blood. When if you remember in Matthew 26, he raises the third cup, the cup of redemption, while celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And he will say what? This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. You all are going to take communion next weekend. And remember, Jesus instituted communion during a Passover Seder at the Last Supper. You know, the old covenant law was written on tablets of stone. Under the new covenant, God now writes his law on tablets of flesh. And Jesus fulfilled Jeremiah's prediction of the coming of the new covenant through his saving work on the cross. Remember, no longer would priests and prophets have to stand between the people and God. Jesus would now become our great high priest. And his perfect sacrifice is good to save anyone, whether Jew or Gentile, who would put their trust and faith in him. In addition, under the new covenant economy, Jesus would break down the barrier separating Jew and Gentile, making us now one together in him. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile both of them to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, a reference to Gentiles, and to those who were near, a reference to Jewish people. For through him, Paul concludes in this section, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. That's good news, isn't it? That's awesome. And we as God's people say, Amen. So the church was born at Pentecost. And now Jesus' followers would proclaim this new relationship with God made available through the new covenant. You and I are no longer living under the Mosaic law. We are living under the new covenant economy. And how awesome is this relationship now because of the indwelling Holy Spirit? Well, I want you to consider just a few of his ministries, okay? The Holy Spirit empowers us, guards us, helps us, intercedes on our behalf. He produces fruit. He's the source of power, liberty, unity. He teaches us and leads us in the truth, just to name a few. 
a phenomenal consequence of the Spirit indwelling all of us as believers in Jesus is kind of like the gift that keeps on giving. Anybody ever watched The Price is Right growing up? Still, you can watch it, I guess, on GTV, you know? I used to watch it as a kid. I watched a lot of TV as a kid, and I really liked Bob Barker and The Price is Right. I used to watch it all the time growing up, and the gift of the Spirit is kind of like winning the showcase on The Price is Right. just keeps getting better, remember? The announcer saying, that announcer, he was really cool. <laughs> How about a new car? You remember? <laughs> and then he would continue. And that's not all. <laughs> How about an all-expense-paid vacation to wherever you want? You know, like that. You get the idea. You know, an appropriate response for all the Spirit does in our lives as believers is simply to praise and thank God. And we can't praise God or thank God enough, right? We sang 10,000 reasons before. I love that song by Matt Redman based upon Psalm 103, right? So we've looked at new perspectives on Pentecost and a new relationship made available at Pentecost. Finally, I want us to close by noticing this new strategy that is now employed by God's people to fulfill God's mission. And Peter provides perspectives on the events of this stunning event, beginning in verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. And standing up with the 11 apostles, Peter will address the men of Judea and the crowd. And in verse 17, he'll say these words. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter, quoting here from the Old Testament prophet Joel, who prophesied a time when all those who followed God would receive his spirit, not just prophets, priests, and kings. And notice he'll also close that section by quoting the prophet Joel, who will say that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will what? will be saved. Beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Now, the last days in that section refers to the present era of redemptive history from the first coming of Christ. We are living in the church age, otherwise known as the age of grace. And this period is going to be completely fulfilled when Jesus returns. You know, the nation of Israel was called by God to be a kingdom of priests. They were called to bring the knowledge of God, the one true God, to the nations, they were called to be a light to the Gentiles. And Israel, in being a witnessing community, brought Gentile or non-Jewish proselytes into the fold. Now, those who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they would be brought in to the community of faith, if you remember. Not only spiritually, but physically. And if you remember, God told Israel, be holy as I am holy. Why? Because he told them specifically, do not go out to the nations, bring believers into our community. Because he said, don't go out, lest they fall into idolatry. So it was a very specific mission. They were called to be light, to shine the light of God, to proclaim the truth of God. And proselytes were literally brought into the fold physically. But now, under the new covenant economy, after the church is born, we have a whole new strategy a whole new strategy to reach people with the true knowledge of the one true God. And what is this what is this new strategy? Well, it's called none other than the great commission. Right? 
Jesus says, go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. So Israel's strategy, shine the light, be a kingdom of priests, bring them in. The new strategy for God's people, go out. You will be my witnesses in Judea, Judea, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. There is the new strategy for completing God's mission as God's people. As we celebrate our time celebrating the gift of the Spirit coming down at Pentecost, we praise God. You know, he sent the Spirit to give us power to be his witnesses and to labor in his field through prayer, good deeds, and the proclamation of truth, the truth that sets people free, namely the gospel. And as we close, I want to leave you with one action point that each of us can actually do. This action point is the same action point that Jesus gave those first disciples 2,000 years ago. So we talked about the main theme of this message, which is harvest. Now here's the one takeaway I want to leave each of us with, the one action point. As we read in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, Jesus says these powerful words. The word says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples these words that I want us to remember. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into the harvest. My exhortation to you this morning, my exhortation to myself, is for us to simply pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field. And I know that all of us can do that. This is part of the Great Commission thrust. This is one thing all of us can do. We can pray for each other. We can pray for missionaries. We can pray for the evangelistic effort of the church. But interestingly enough, not only... Not only are we called to pray the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into the harvest, guess what? You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are also part of the harvest. And we are an answer to a 2,000-year-old prayer that God is continually being faithful to continually answer. Because remember, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. We are all in this great commission effort together. I want us as we close to be confident and encouraged. And I want us to remember and rejoice in that reality that the Lord is building his church. The gates of Hades are not and will not prevail against it. Friends, I pray this morning that God would grant each of us new zeal to be his witnesses. And this day, Pentecost Sunday, as we ponder the newness of Pentecost, I pray we, each of us would be moved by the Spirit who indwells each of us to boldly step out in his power as did the disciples and share the wondrous works of God and his gospel to those around us. And as we share today, my heart's desire is that God would bring many people in your sphere of influence and in mine 
into his kingdom so they too can experience forgiveness of sin and eternal life. New life. New life that can only be found in Jesus. For truly the harvest is plentiful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful message about the harvest. Lord, we rejoice as we learn about the Feast of Shavuot, about Pentecost. We remember that you began a harvest 2,000 years ago at Pentecost. And God, you are faithful to complete that which you promised you would do. You are building your church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Not only are we answers to the prayer that the harvest would come, but we are called to work in the field as well. Bless each one of my brothers and sisters today going forward. Bless their witness. Bless their lives. We love you and we praise you. In the mighty name of our Messiah and Lord Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.